Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Rich Kelly. He is our lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy. And today, our topic is going to be looking at some of the feast days uh, of Epiphany and the Baptism of the Lord. And uh, so we have our uh, resident theologian, Dr. Bruce Kelly, here to uh, guide us through these feast days uh, and to help us um, get a little bit better understanding, because the better we can understand, the better we can enter into in prayer, and uh, the better we can participate in them. Um, And so, Dr. Bruce Kelly, to get us started, maybe we can uh, uh, look at Epiphany and uh, the baptism of the Lord in their in their totality with uh with their connection to uh christmas how do we go about you know understanding these uh together right so normally you know in the west right in the Mm -hmm. contemporary west uh particularly in our highly secularized environment we tend to think about christmas as sort of a singular event like a day yeah now well catechized catholics know that Christmas is actually a whole season, right? And it extends for quite some time. I I, I did a, a short video for a YouTube, uh, YouTube channel um, a year or so ago, right? I guess in which I discussed, I asked the question, well, how long is Christmas? And that yeah, yeah. particular year, it was like over 20 days, right? So um, really, you, you start with Christmas Day as the Feast of the Lord, right? It's mm-hmm. a feast that celebrates when Christ is actually born into the world. Right. But that's not, not the whole of the Nativity, right? When we think about the idea of the Nativity, uh, Christmas is the season of Nativity, right? Yeah. And what we're talking about is with Nativity, it's not simply birth, but it's the whole um origin right it's your origin story essentially Mm -hmm. so this is dealing with the period of christ's life before the beginning of his public ministry that's the season of the nativity right christmas season is really about that whole period of time so this covers the time from jesus actual birth Mm -hmm. through the finding of the child jesus in the temple right that period of time is, is part of the nativity uh, and his uh, and even his baptism, right, which occurs before the beginning of his public ministry. Yeah, that's interesting so that's, to right, to, so to the... take everything into account that way, and to you know really think of it because yeah, it's really hard to think of a season surrounding like just the birth of Jesus, just one event to turn one event into an entire season, but instead looking at the the christmas season as kind of just uh the events um yes the high point is the nativity but looking at the events in their totality uh, uh as that right. season yeah so there there's there's paradox involved mm-hmm. right um in the idea of christmas because you have something cataclysmic occurring at a cosmological level mm-hmm. which yet goes unnoticed the whole point is this is prior to the beginning of his public ministry. So not only are we talking about something before a worldwide recognition of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not it, it like long before the spread of the church throughout the world, long before Pentecost, right? Um, we're talking about before anyone knew him outside of his uh outside of his uh, outside of the holy family right before anyone recognized him uh and so you know you've got you have these little glimpses where people catch an insight mm-hmm. the uh the feast of epiphany where the magi we we'll, we'll talk about that because uh, it's a really important story mm-hmm. right where the magi come to see him um in in they kind of see through the veil, right? And they perceive the reality of uh, of who he is. Um, the nativity, when the shepherds catch a glimpse. But these are people who don't know, they, they, or, or who don't matter, right? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're just shepherds. Who cares what they think? 
who cares what they think they know, right? Um, and the Magi uh, aren't even Jews, right? They're not. They're they're pagans. Zoroastrian they're priests. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a in a bit, but I mean, they're not even part of the Hebrew people, right? Yeah. So what they see, I mean, who cares, right? Uh, and then at the baptism, even at the great theophany of the baptism, there are many still who don't know what they're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you see, like, uh, some people thought they heard this sound, right? And some people thought it was just thunder, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Uh, so only, but others recognized, right? So this is the beginning. This is just that beginning where people begin to see who Jesus really is, right? Yeah, and to take a to take a quote for our listeners here, to take a quote from the Catechism. Um, uh, the Catechism makes this point uh, that Dr. Buzzichelli is making here about the totality of the events there. Uh, in paragraph five twenty eight, when it talks about the Epiphany, it says. The Epiphany is the manifestation of Jesus as Messiah of Israel, Son of God and Savior of the world. The great feast of Epiphany celebrates the adoration of Jesus by the wise men, the Magi, from the east, together with his baptism in the Jordan and the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. So it brings, uh -huh. you know, even the Catechism makes the point talking about, you know, the this 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 season and especially the this uh, this epiphany uh, of not just you know the son of god coming into the world but then also this his his manifestation as a uh, son of god savior of the world as the messiah of israel it, it takes it it connects it's that that thread that that streams together these you know these events um which like you said you know it is it is interesting with you know some of these uh, especially like with the um, the Magi, like, you know, they really like they kind of just disappear. Like you never see them again. Like they they don't really have uh, uh, from what we know, you know, there, there's no real like plan for them, you know, and or we don't see, you know, God's plan yeah. of salvation I mean, being worked had, out. The yeah. fathers sort of imagined, you know, what became of them and, and, and who they sure. were. And eventually they you know, they sort of made associations between the Magi and the kings that we see referenced yeah. uh, in the Psalms, right? Uh, but, but in fact, right, the word Magi is, is a word that comes from ancient Persian, mm -hmm. uh, and it means a member of the priestly class. Right. Right. So what was the major religion in Persia at the time? Uh, it was it was Zoroastrianism, right? Zarathustraism, and um, and they uh, so we have basically we're being told the Magi. It's very clear what they are. They're Zoroastrian priests. So look at their behavior, right? They they see a star at its rising, mm -hmm. totally consistent, right, with Zoroastrianism. They're they're astrologers. They look at the stars. They chart the stars. They look for signs in the patterns of the stars, right? A yeah, they believe they believe creation is divine, right? In that part of their Yeah, and this... they but they think they they had this idea that there would be this this cataclysm at the end of time mm -hmm. in which human beings would have to choose sides between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. All right? So they're dualists. Dualists, okay? Yeah. And it's really settled which uh, side is going to win out. <laughs> human beings can tip the scales one way or the other by by choosing which side they're going to they're going to join. Mm -hmm. And one of the signs that this that this great cataclysm is coming is that certain personages of note would be born throughout the world. The Zoroastrians were very eclectic people, so they didn't really. You know, it wasn't like they 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 saw themselves as a nationalistic religion. religion it wasn't the way yeah. they thought at all. They were they were kind of broad-minded people, and they, you know, so they would look for anybody like a, a Roman emperor, or the Jewish Messiah was totally was totally fine with them, right? Yeah. So if if they saw some sign that the Jewish Messiah, they knew about Jews, right? Yeah. Um, they that the Messiah of the Jews was coming, as far as they understood what that was. Um, then they thought, yeah, this means the great 
cataclysm is approaching and we need to be prepared. So from the point of view of the Jewish people, you need to understand that Zoroastrianism was basically considered a demonic religion, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they're, they worship false gods, yeah. right? And they, they're dualists, right? Whereas the, the, um, the Jews were, were monists, right? I mean, they believed there's one source from which all things come, and that is God, right? And the evil is not a countervailing power yeah, over yeah, yeah. against good, right? <laughs> Darkness is not a thing. It's a privation. In, in the story of creation, the word that's used to describe the darkness, right, the word that we translate as night, is the word layil, which basically means a twisting away, mm, right? So it's it's seen there as a, it's a privation of the light. It's a turning away from the light of God's love, uh, which which is the source of uh, of the being of the world, right? Um, so, I mean, from from again from the Jewish perspective, the Zoroastrians are are a demonic religion. So when you look at the story, uh, I mean, they may have been nice people and everything. That's not the <laughs> point. They, but they were worshiping false gods, right? Yeah. So when you when you look at the when you look at um, the story of the Magi, right? Look at the geography of the story. This is a thing about biblical stories that often people don't understand or they, it, it, it escapes their notice, right? Mm -hmm. The movements. Yeah. Okay. So the, this story in particular draws our attention to movement in a really notable way. If we're paying attention to the symbolism, they saw the star at its rising. And so they followed it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then the star moved in the sky and came to rest over the place where the child was. Yeah. God moved the star. Okay. <laughs> so this is the, the interesting thing about this is they're a demonic religion, right? They're following within the context of their own religion and their own religion's prophecies. A false sign, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but God intervenes, and he takes that false sign, and he moves it so that no longer does it tell a lie. Now it tells the truth, okay? Yeah, and, they, and they, they're, they're, they're none the wiser to, the to it. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and it leads them to the, it leads them to see Jesus, and then it says, the interesting thing is, they're warned in a dream. Now, remember, in Matthew's Gospel, which is where we see the story of the Magi, mm -hmm. the language that God uses to communicate with his faithful ones is the language of dreams, right? Yeah. Joseph hears from an angel in a dream. And so the Magi hear from an angel in a dream, not to return to Herod. Yeah. And what does it say? So they return by another way, right? Another way. Uh, now, now, the implication of this, right, this idea of the way, hodie, okay, is this is a whole, this is a whole theme all by itself in the Bible, right? Mm, interesting, yeah. Look in the New Testament and in the early patristic writings, how many times we see the phrase, the way. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Various contexts. It's referring, of course, right. It's synonymous with God's Christianity. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So in, there were in the Old Testament, you had the two ways: the way of light and the, the way, way of dark, death. the way yeah. of righteousness, the way of sin, the way of God, the way of evil, right? Um, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. The two ways, major theme: the way of life, the way of death. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so here, right, when they when it says they go back by another way, they're referring to this whole thing, not the way of darkness, the way of Zoroastrianism, but instead the new way, the way of the gospel. They've come to see Jesus Christ with his full implications. Right. The Jewish Messiah is the one who brings light to the Gentiles, right? Yeah, and even and even in the 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 Magi visiting King Herod, so you have 
you know, uh, presumably they don't know a whole lot about this king, but they know enough to follow a star to see one. But, you know, if you heard a king was being born in a place that already has um, a king, you would think, oh, it's probably the king's son, you know? So, I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, which makes sense why the why they would travel to go see King Herod, you know? Um, uh, but one of the things I think was, I think it was in, you know, I think in the, in the story it says that Herod was, Herod heard about the Magi and he was frightened, you know? I, and it makes, it makes sense if, if Herod knew enough about, you know, Zoroastrian or something like that, Zoroastrianism, uh, to to understand that you know, according to them, there was this, there was going to be this this conflict, this this kind uh-huh. of fight, and we had to choose sides. You know, if there was a religion out there that was like that, and and you're like King Herod, you're not really uh, um, favorable to one or the other, and you hear that these things maybe maybe uh, coming about. You know that there might be this great struggle, and we're gonna have to you know, this great war between good and evil and light and darkness. You know, and these guys are coming to see you. That could be particularly frightened, frightening at least. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, yeah, that's uh, that, that. You know, that's interesting. And even with, um, yeah. So then they they visit, but I, but I like what you said about the you know the way a that that phrase you know in the early church fathers is just used you know so often. It's you know synonymous with Christianity in a lot of in a lot of the writings. Um, but also, you know, again, what this also, you know, shows us kind of a, a spiritual reading of it, you know, is, you know, that we, we go about our, our own lives, we go about them a different way, that Christianity mm-hmm. looks differently, uh, according to uh, the standards of the world, according to secular uh, values, it looks wholly different, it is uh, um, a different way. And, you know, I think, I think also with, um at least in our spiritual lives, when we have this encounter with Jesus, we, there, there, there is this decision, you know, we, we cannot go back the way that we came from, you know, Uh and there has to be this, um, uh, uh, there has to be something that changes within us. We have to do Mm -hmm. something differently. Um, you know, I think that's Peter, right. Yeah. makes reference to the, uh, the, uh, the dog returning to its vomit. Yeah. Right. Um, and he says it would be better for such a person, uh, had he never known the way of righteousness than to have known it, but, and then to have turned, to have turned back. Right. Yeah. It's, it's much worse, right. To, to start down, according to Peter, it's much worse to start down the path and then turn back. That's a theme that we find actually in various places in the Gospels, right? Yeah. The person who would put his hand to the plow and then look back, look back is not right? fit to be my disciple, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a um, something that I, I think people that are involved with evangelism that they need to they need to take seriously that there that it is the case that people can have an encounter with our Lord and a, a true encounter and, and turn away. That that's a possibility. I mean, I've read so many things recently that just say, well, you know, if, e- evangelization, we just need to help people encounter the Lord. And and almost as if once they once they have this encounter with the Lord, whatever that is, they don't really define it. But once they have this encounter, it's it's almost impossible that they're, that, you know, that it's kind of this not it's this absolute product of of this encounter. But no, there are there are hard hearts, and that there are people that can have this encounter with the Lord and turn away and go back the way they came from, because it is a hard it is a hard life. Uh, it's 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 a hard uh, a hard way yeah. to live. In uh, the Gospel yeah. of John, right? In the Gospel of John, you see this interesting um, and disturbing phrase: those about those who who. Um, Literally, right? That they they loved the darkness more than they loved the light. Yeah. Uh, right. So we usually translate that as they preferred the darkness to the light. Yeah. But but really, they they loved the darkness more than they loved the light. Uh, they um. That, that, yeah. That that's a more... that's a that's a reality that uh, uh it's not just this this matter of 
well, those that those that are not Christian or those that are not Catholic just have never had an experience with the Lord. No, some of them may have, but they they've turned away. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean, like they they they've preferred you know the darkness to the light. Uh, and, and I think that's where you know when you look at Epiphany, that's where you know a, a real you know divine intervention where God needs to move whatever star they're following. God needs to somehow use that. And move right. it, <laughs> put it over so, Bethlehem, put it back over where where it in, needs to be. Yeah, and in the in the Gospel of Matthew, you see twice, right, the reference to the sign of Jonah. Yeah. Okay. And you know, most people think, well, uh, the sign of Jonah, what is that, right? And they yeah. think, well, it's about it's it's um, like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale, so um, Jesus was three days in the tomb and then comes back. Yeah, that's true, but let's go deeper than that, mm-hmm. all right? This phrase, the sign of Jonah, is a rabbinical, um, it's a rabbinical, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, you know what, what uh, tip of my tongue, um, idiom, right. Idiom. Hey, right, let's try it there. This phrase sign of Jonah is is a rabbinical idiom. Okay, and it, it means it refers to when God uses the power of the demonic mm-hmm. against the demonic. Mm. Right? So um, in going back to Jonah, the story of Jonah, what happens? Jonah defies God's will. He flees God. Mm-hmm. And what happens, right? Well, God allows him to find the logical consequences, to reach the logical consequences of his flight from God's will. Namely, he succumbs to—he's overwhelmed, right, by his own sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 he's dominated by death, right? He descends to the bottom of the abyss, cut off. He's basically in hell, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's sort of— I mean, he's you know the consumed by by basically Leviathan, right? Right. Taken down to the bottom of the abyss. Um, he's in bad shape, but God finds him in in that event, right? And by the time he's done with him, Jonah goes up to the surface again, having been restored to life by God, and he preaches to the Ninevites. And in fact, he's effective, right? So they yeah. they convert. Um, so somehow, in this whole experience, God God let the he let the demonic right have its way for a while, uh, and then he turned the whole thing around on them. So um, the ultimate story of the sign of Jonah is, of course, the death and resurrection of Christ mm-hmm. on the cross. Satan finally seems to have everything the way he wants it. The world has definitively rejected God in his own self-donation to the world. He enters into the world saying to the world, I love you, receive me, come to me, share your life with me. And they say, no, thank you. Go back to where you came from. We would prefer to live without you yeah and crucify him not just not just like not just go back to nazareth or something but die like yeah it's a it's a complete rejection and then right what happens well just when satan thought that he had christ exactly where he had god right where he wanted him right he hears god say checkmate how yeah because because the infinite one had entered into the ultimate finitude the limitation of death Mm. the one who is life itself can't be right he's infinite life he can't be constrained by the limitation of death and he blows it apart right he destroys death in his dying by Mm -hmm. entering into death he breaches satan's kingdom in the pit He's like it's the Jesus dying on the cross is the Trojan horse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole story of salvation, and um, and so he, right? That completely, Satan's power is in death, 
Yeah. Right? It's in death. That power he wields against Christ, and then Christ uses that to destroy <laughs> to destroy Satan's power, right? Yeah, and this this is a great this is a great segue into uh the baptism of the Lord. Right. You yeah, know, because baptism right. baptism is our way to enter into that life. Um, but we also know that, you know, baptism part of baptism is death. Right, right. So the, the sign of Jonah is first seen in Matthew, right, in the story of the mm -hmm. Magi. Mm -hmm. And then it repeats throughout the gospel in various ways, culminating in the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. But here we see in the baptism, the interesting thing, right, is this this whole foreshadowing of death, uh, of the death and resurrection of Christ, is already with us in the baptism. Yeah. And the interesting thing here, of course, let's let's note, right, that the the feast of the baptism uh, of our Lord is known in Eastern thought, right, as the Great Theophany, right, right, the Great Theophany, where God the Father speaks from heaven, the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ, and Christ is pronounced the only begotten Son of God, mm -hmm. right, my Son, my beloved one, in whom I am well pleased. So there you see a manifestation of God in his triune life. But one of the paradoxes of the baptism, right, is that Christ is fully accepting in the baptism the implications of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the incarnation as uh, something that maybe God could, like God could have not done it. Right. Right. So, um, but he did it. And then maybe having done it, I guess God could have decided to pull back. Maybe he could have undone it, right? Yeah, I think I'm done with this incarnation thing. But he doesn't, <laughs> no. He goes all in, right, at the baptism. He, so what is, what is going on in the, in the baptism? What, what's happening? Here's John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. um, and He's baptizing people for the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. So by coming to be baptized, Jesus is essentially entering into the reality of human fallenness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Jesus becomes a sinner, right? right? That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But remember, there's that enigmatic passage in the New Testament. He who was, he who was not sin became sin. Mm-hmm so that we might become the righteousness of God, okay? So the sinless one enters into the reality of our fallenness and is touched by the implications of our fallenness. The Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sins of the world, right? That is already occurring in the baptism. If the baptism of John the Baptist is a baptism for the remission of sins, which clearly he states that it is, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. in the New Testament writings, then Christ, in submitting to baptism, is putting himself in the position of the sinner who needs to repent. Yeah. It's a priestly action on the part of Christ already in that moment, right? Yeah, and like you said, the the... The sinless one is entering into that sin. Like you said before, life is going into death. Like life itself is entering into death and just completely destroys it, completely just neuters it of any sort of power. Uh, right. um, yeah. Yeah. So, the, and, and you were telling me there's a, uh, there's a legend with uh, Leviathan again, so that we were talking, we were talking about yeah. Leviathan early, but there's, but there's a legend or, or something surrounding the, the baptism of the Lord as well. Right. Right. So Leviathan is an interesting critter in, in, uh, in the Bible, right? Yeah. Um, a legendary sea monster, but Leviathan. The, and the and, and real, Leviathan. real, real quick for our leader, uh, for, our, for our listeners and uh, uh, those that are watching, Le Leviathan is is a sea creature. Later on, he's referred to obviously as the devil. Um, so he has like these different manifestations throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, was it Revelation? Yeah, the the word Leviathan literally means a it, it. He's he's described as a twisting serpent, mm -hmm. right? A twisting serpent. 
uh, or a coiled serpent, right? And he's a he's a sea monster. Yeah. But he hearkens to legendary um, legendary gods and goddesses of of ancient Canaanite and Babylonian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, um, the Babylonian goddess Tiamat, the goddess of chaos, the goddess of the abyss, right? Uh, who's the mother of all the gods and goddesses uh, in the Babylonian religion, and ultimately the god Marduk tears her head off, and it's a big cataclysm that gives rise to the to, to the origins of the world, according yeah. to Babylonian mythology. And, of course, there's also the Canaanite, uh, the Canaanite seven-headed red dragon, right, uh, which is um, Lothan, okay, who appears in the book of Revelation, yeah, right? And in the book of Revelation, John associates that creature, Lothan, right, with um, the devil, the figure of Satan, and the serpent, the Nahash, the bronze thing, mm-hmm. right, the false god uh, in the garden. Okay, so this is, um, so Leviathan is is part of that whole narrative in, uh, it's part of that whole sort of mythological tradition. But here, um, seen from a Jewish view, and there was this, there was a legend that, um, the, you know, that Leviathan would lay at the mouth of the River Jordan and swallow the waters of the River Jordan, right? Yeah. So if you look in the book of Revelation, how the beast vomits out the torrent, comes out of the abyss, right, and vomits out this torrent of water. It's like Leviathan, right, um, swallowing up the River Jordan and then and then spitting it out again, okay? Uh, so when Jesus is baptized in the, in the River Jordan, and where is it located? It's really at the mouth of the River the Jordan, yeah. right? It's very close to where Leviathan would have been, right? Um, so, so he's basically go, entering into that conflict with Leviathan, uh, with the devil, right? Yeah. Now, if you go back to the story of Jonah and you think, well, the sea monster that swallows Jonah is basically, it's Leviathan. Leviathan, right? yeah. Mean, <laughs> So um, he's so now there's that passage in the story about Jonah, where Jonah has an encounter with God in the belly of the beast. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and so from a New Testament perspective, that that is seen as Christ in the baptism descending into that encounter. Right. Now you think, well, how could that be? Dr. Bolzakelli, you're making this all up because Jonah <laughs> lived, um, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of years before, yeah, before yeah. this happened. Yeah, forget about that. You have to realize that in the Bible, not there's there's a there's a non-linearity to yeah. the events of salvation, right? Yeah. That, that what happens at the chronological level is one thing. What happens at the chirological level is another right there's this whole other understanding of time in the bible right kairos mm-hmm. not chrono chronos is the time we measure on the clock it's linear time right but kairos is that's god's sort of plan of action which occurs in a non-linear way yeah yeah the yeah the best way to understand that is uh the immaculate conception you know we right. Catholics don't don't say that Mary didn't need a savior. That's why she was immaculately conceived, or or she was immaculately conceived. Therefore, she didn't need a savior. No, she needs the savior that is to come. But the graces of that salvation that was brought by Jesus Christ were applied. So yeah, you start getting into this time thing, where it's uh, like you said, it's not this this Chronos. Um, that it's uh that it's that way. So you have Le- Leviathan that's there drinking from the the drinking at the Jordan, and here you have uh Christ coming and being baptized uh, uh at the Jordan. So it's again this this symbolism of the uh, of Christ coming to uh, destroy death. Um, uh, but he he doesn't do it in the obvious way, which I think is 
part of the beauty of God. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. this. It's not what everybody was looking for. It's it was uh, um, some there were, there was something hidden. There was something else there, something deeper there. Um, now why now now a question is always brought up. Why why did Jesus need to be baptized, or why why was he baptized? Right. Well, his own words, mm-hmm. right, is to fulfill all righteousness. Right. Yeah. So, um, or to bring righteousness to its fullness. Okay. So what? What is that? That's a real. Okay. So you. All right. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. Okay. In order to really understand this, I think it's useful to kind of get an idea of the milieu. Mm-hmm. Right. So, who is John the Baptist? That might help. Sure. John the Baptist is performing a ritual that was relatively new at the time that Christ appeared. This is not something that was widely practiced for centuries in Judaism. This practice was only about a generation old by the time Jesus appeared. And it originated with the essence, right? These were the the, the sort of the monastic sect at Qumran. Mm-hmm. Qumran, interestingly, is at the mouth, mouth of the of River the, Jordan, yeah. right? I mean, like, right <laughs> where John the Baptist is baptizing. Yeah. And uh, and they would preach, much like John the Baptist, right? They held this view that the kingdom of heaven was rushing upon you. This is the words that John the Baptist uses, right? So we have every reason to believe that John the Baptist was in some way associated with the with the essence mm-hmm. he's there at the mouth of the river jordan baptizing performing a ritual that was invented by the essence in the place where the essence monastery was right um now why do i mention all this well it's because the essence had a figure okay uh in in their typology the teacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, who was the teacher of righteousness? Well, this is actually a subject of a lot of scholarly debate. Some people think the teacher of righteousness was uh, a sort of prophetic leader who dates back to the beginning of the movement, even to the time before the Essens and the Pharisees parted company and became two different sects, right? To the time of the Hasidim, right. when they were one movement. Um, I think that's probably true, but there's another line of thought on this, which is simply that the teacher of righteousness is uh, a prophecy, right? That he's not actually some guy, mm-hmm. right, who actually existed in history, but someone foretold, someone expected. I also think that's true. And the third line is that the teacher of righteousness is a typology, Right, right. You know, an idea essentially, right? Uh, and I also think that that is true. In other words, I don't think we have to choose between these three models. I think we can recognize all of them at once, in much the same way that we can see Moses and Elijah, right, yeah. both as historical figures, as typologies, and as prophecies, right? In other words, the idea Moses says there will be a prophet like me. Mm-hmm. to come to the people of Israel to interpret the law for them. Uh, so there you have the idea that Moses is a historical figure. He's also a typology, right? Because we talk about the books of Moses. Moses says that the whole concept of law is associated now with Moses. And then finally, um, and Moses is an expectation. Yeah. Similarly to Elijah, right? Where there's Elijah, the historical figure, the prophet Elijah, the type and then finally, Elijah, the prophecy, the return of Elijah, right, in the day of the Lord. This is a common thing that we find in ancient Judaism. And so I think that we we also see it here. Now, what does that mean? Well, the teacher of righteousness is a guy who sees himself as a sinner, as someone unworthy, right? Mm-hmm. And yet is himself uh, 
the pinnacle of righteousness. Yeah. He shows us the way to righteousness precisely in his humility. Okay? That he lives a life of purity and sacrifice and austerity. Um, and he points the way beyond himself to something greater still, mm -hmm. to the righteous one. John the Baptist is the teacher of righteousness. He's fulfilling the typology and the expectation of, 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 the, of the essence, right? The teacher of righteousness. He points toward the righteous one who is Christ himself. Yeah, and this is where... In the, that, brings righteousness to its fullness. Yeah. Right? And this is where we get, uh, you know, the, the, the part of the Mass, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, pointing to, you know, to the Jews, this would have made much sense, point, calling Jesus the Lamb of God uh, uh, as this, this sinless one who is taking on all of the burdens of the Israelites, all of the sins of the past, all of their infidelities, and being the perfect... Uh, uh, sacrifice the one who who dies uh, for their for their salvation. So even and he, it, and he he makes righteousness a reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just a hope, not just an expectation, right? Not just something approximated, but he makes it a reality. Yeah, and this is and and again, like you said, you know, in in everything that 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 Jesus did, you know, even here in his 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 beginning. You know, so when we're talking about his birth, his, you know, the his baptism, the epiphany, all of these, that even though it has to do with bringing about new life, there is that element of death. He's pointing to he's pointing to something else that will that will come later on. And so even in even in his own baptism, you know, when when he enters into the waters, you know, I, I think of, you know, the very end of Matthew's gospel where he you know, what does he tell the apostles to do? Go baptize. He he mm -hmm. he he sends them out uh, uh, in a similar fashion, you know. And maybe maybe this is a maybe this is a good uh, example of of Jesus being a good Thomas, right? That he he begins <laughs> with the end in mind, right? You know. Uh, no, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Maybe <laughs> Doctor Smith would go that far of, of pointing to Jesus being a Thomas, but. Uh, yeah, um, I think that would that would that would probably cross over <laughs> into blasphemy. Uh, blasphemy, yeah. yeah. Okay, but all right. So we won't we won't go that far. We won't go that far. But it's important to see that but, that that the 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 depth of these events that that are happening around here at Christmas time, and also you know showing showing how they they're 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 pointing us not just to the life to come uh, in Jesus Christ, but they're they're pointing us to uh, uh, to Easter, um, and to, uh, uh, his death, resurrection, the entire Paschal, uh, mystery. Um, yeah, so, so, so let, let, let's just explore just, I know we're, you know, we're we've been at this for a while, but, um, the relationship between our baptism mm -hmm. and Christ's baptism, yeah. right? So this is one of the big mysteries. Obviously Christ doesn't need to be baptized the way you and I need to be baptized, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we need Christ to be baptized so that we can be baptized, right? Our so what what what's happening is there's there's a meeting happening. Christ, it's sort of like the prodigal son, right? Mm -hmm. Where we are um, separated from God in sin, we want to go back, but we can't, right? So we're like those people going to John the Baptist to be baptized for the sake of our sins, that we might convert from them. But we can't, we have no power in and of ourselves to return to God from whom we're separated. Yeah. The, the finite can't bridge the gap to the infinite. Yeah, right? we, we, we can't, can't go back, we can't go back the way we came, but we don't know the way. <laughs> right, but Christ can come yeah. and get us, right? So the father rushes out to meet his son, though he's a long way off. Right, and so here, Christ rushes out to meet the sinner, mm -hmm. though he's a long way off. Right, and and he, 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 in the baptism, he embraces those in the font, like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Right, you see that? Yeah, so and even and even in even in um, church architecture, 
baptismal mm-hmm. fonts in some churches, you would you would descend, uh, you know, what is it? What was it? Six stairs, uh, as like uh-huh. the six days of creation. You would you would descend. You would it, it would it was a it was a death. You were going down to the waters of baptism, and there you would be baptized. And not only when you baptized, you would go up the steps into the church. Um, but it was uh, again symbolizing, you know, death and resurrection. Um, but even in the architecture of, of early churches, it, it had to do with this, with going down. But you, but again, you weren't going down alone. You were going down with Christ, and you were going down to to meet Christ. Right. So there's this whole, you know, sort of rhythm, yeah, uh, in the Bible of descent and ascent, mm-hmm. right? So he enters into the world, descends into our condition, descends all the way to death, right? Think of the canonic hymn in uh, the second chapter of Philippians. And then having died, even a death of uncleanliness, right? Mm -hmm. Death on the cross. He defeats death, rises again, and ascends into heaven, right? And becomes king of the universe. So... um, that whole right, that whole sort of that whole descent and ascent thing, that is what baptism is is then about. We, uh, so we're like, we're the ones with the problem to begin with, right? We're the ones with the problem. We're yeah. lost. I mean, look at the way John describes it, right? Uh, I don't come to condemn the world. You're already condemned. I'm <laughs> here to save you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm diving in after you. I'm the lifeguard diving in after you who are drowning you're you're <laughs> you dead. don't even know you're, it <laughs> you're, you're done okay so so really that is the image right he dives in after us and pulls us up from death and then carries us not only back to shore mm-hmm. but actually beyond the limits of this life altogether into the bosom of the father right yeah his ascent becomes our assumption, and that, that's what that's what we find, you know, in in uh, in that famous passage that we often hear at the you know the Easter Vigil, right? Um, do you not know that um, uh, that in what in, in dying a death like his, right, we rise, and dying with him, we also rise with him mm-hmm. to newness of life. You know that that whole that whole image. Yeah, there's, there's also a, a great quote from uh, St. Ambrose talking about baptism. He says, mm-hmm. and specifically connecting baptism with uh, uh, Christ's baptism, he says, The Lord was baptized not to be cleansed himself, but to cleanse mm-hmm. the waters, so that those waters, cleansed by the flesh of Christ, which knew no sin, might have the power of baptism. Uh, uh, so that, you know, in, in, a, in a way, Christ enters into those waters like you said, so that those waters could also uh, have the power of baptism, have the ability uh, uh, to remove that sin uh, from us. And, and I think also, you know, the 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 words and the, the deeds of Christ surrounding baptism, I think show or, or should hopefully show the, the, the non-Christian or even you know the christian that has been baptized hopefully remind them of the 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 absolute importance of baptism mm-hmm. that it's not just this sim- symbolic thing we do to kind of be firm be, be firmed in our faith or or begin this it's just not some symbol of beginning a christian life um but that it is but that it is so real uh, mm-hmm. uh that it that it brings about a different reality it brings about a new creature uh, um, which, you know, uh, and, and again, when you, when you bring in the images of, you know, Leviathan, you can see all of like you know, that, that even Christ himself, uh, uh, didn't take this, you know, this kind of thing lightly that it had very mm-hmm. much to do with death, but not, uh, uh, but to destroy death, uh, which again, you know, hopefully for us can remind us of the importance of our own baptism, um, that we cannot uh, um, uh, be uh, brought to new life unless we repent, unless we uh, unless we put off the old. And like the Magi there, like you said, you know they couldn't go back the same way. They had to go a different way. 
So, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bruce Kelly, uh, any any final thoughts, con- concluding thoughts surrounding maybe something that our listeners can take away from maybe a, a good way to to approach or something something more to to think about to ponder when we as we go through these uh, um, these this Christmas season and and celebrate these feasts of Epiphany and uh, Baptism of the Lord. Yeah, well, I think the the one the one lesson I guess would be to um, to see the whole mystery uh, as as sort of a continuous whole, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not to sort of look at the um, the incarnation as an isolated event, but really to understand that there are broad implications. That what begins with the incarnation carries forward through through a it it, it sort of it ripples out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to touch the whole of time and space. Now, finally, right, if you think about the the feast of the incarnation, right, on mm-hmm. Christmas, ends the season of Advent, in which we expect what? The second coming, right? Right. So the paradox is, right, that, that there's something that begins at the incarnation that has its logical fulfillment um, in... In, in the transformation of the entire structure of reality, mm. right? Which is what we celebrate um, at the Feast of Christ the King, right? It's what yeah. we, it's, that's the thing we're expecting in the season of Advent. Um, and in the creedal statements, right? When we see, we see this idea that Christ will come, we say again, right? The, yeah. the Greek word is polyne, which in this particular context, implies a sort of reverberating effect, right? It that the event of the incarnation redounds upon itself. It reverberates through the whole of the cosmos. It's culminating. Um, it the, the culmination of it is that the entire world will come to see the truth of what begins mm. on Christmas morning. So here we are in the baptism, right, where Christ becomes visible to us who would see him. Yeah. All right. And we enter into baptism um, to to be transformed by that reality, to be to be um, to become one with him so that his death and our death become the same reality and his rising and our rising become the same reality his ascension and our assumption and the resurrection of the body uh, become the same reality. Very good. All right, Dr. Bruce Kelly, we'll leave it there for today. Uh, but there's so much more that we could talk about with uh, with these feast days. Uh, and to remind our listeners, take the time, celebrate these feast days, uh, uh, give particular time for uh, spiritual reading and meditation the more we can understand these, the more that we can enter into them and participate in them and draw on the graces that God is uh, giving us in these events and in these uh, feast days. And so I want to invite all of our listeners to uh, check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.